everyone, and welcome to Sidetrack number eight for Derailed Trains of Thought. If you're new to the podcast, Sidetracks is our bonus content, basically. Anytime that we have something kind of extra that may have either been deleted from an episode or just something we thought would be a nice thing to add that didn't really fit into a regular episode. This time around, it's a little bit of both. In the first half, you will hear a deleted conversation from our last episode, episode 72, where we had the people from Children of the Wells uh, share uh, our second half with us, where we did our take on tales. And after we talked about the Twilight Zone, originally I had asked for everyone's favorite stories they had encountered in 2016. And it was a great discussion, but it wound up being too long for the podcast, so we decided to split it off and put it in this Sidetracks episode. And then after that, you'll hear Nick and I in a Skype conversation we recorded talking about Rogue One. And we had a request to do this since we had covered The Force Awakens last year. And so we thought we had fun with that. So let's talk about Rogue One this time because we're huge Star Wars nerds. It's not quite the same quality as when Nick and I used to record the podcast via Skype. Uh, we had a different process for that now, and we were in a hurry, and so we didn't quite do it that way. So it won't the sound quality won't be as good as it could be, but yeah, it's a uh, it's bonus content. Uh, <laughs> we we think it's enjoyable enough for those purposes. So with all that said, hope you enjoy and have a very happy new year. But now we wanted to kind of open it up. Uh, it's the end of 2016. There's probably some stories that we haven't talked about in our take on tales, but we wanted to get some quick takes from people and see what were your favorite stories. Could be a book, movie, a TV show, episode, you know, whatever. We, you know, we're all about inclusion here. So if you have a favorite, speak up. Natasha, you go first because we no, talk. I got a thing. <laughs> <laughs> sprung this on me. <laughs> I'll go first here real quick. It's fairly recent, but I would say of the blockbuster movies I saw this year, probably my favorite was Doctor Strange. Really? Yeah. That was actually a, a movie that I wanted to see again like the very next day, just because I loved the imagery in it. It was visually, it was one, probably one of Marvel's best imagery. Yeah. Visually. Cinematically, they were doing some just really unique things. Granted, the story has a lot of similarities to, say, the first Iron Man, you know, the same kind of redemption arc for the main character. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I, I like the the depth that it went along with that. It's like, much more, uh, I don't know, spiritual is too high, heavy of a word, maybe, but I think spiritual the, is a good word. Yeah, then Iron, then, then Tony Stark's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it asks some deep questions. I mean, you don't have, yeah, most. Marvel movies haven't really gone into what is the fabric of the universe yeah. or, or, or something. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. And so I, I really appreciated that. It really tried to expand, I felt like, the depth and width of the MCU. Best line, you haven't learned the most simple thing yet, Doctor Strange. It's not about you. It's not about, which is not something you'd ever, I've ever no. seen in a blockbuster. Someone say you know, something line. deep like that. Yeah. Also, the part where the ancient one tells him that the, the secret to learning magic is surrender. Yes, yeah. that that and was I, pretty cool. I, I will tell you right now. I think the the reason why you had such you had themes like that in this movie is because the director, who's also the co screenwriter, is actually a Christian fella. And interestingly, he's a Christian fella who's known for doing horror movies. Yes, Scott and Derrickson. He's Scott Derrickson. I, I think he's he's a fascinating individual. I've been I've been kind of curious and part of a festive interest because we actually went to the same uh, undergrad film studies program, like a semester program in L.A. 
technically it was like three years ahead of me or something. So, you know, you can be looking for my next, my contribution to Marvel Cinematic Universe in like 2020. Uh, <laughs> Take me with you. <laughs> okay, not really, but he, he has a very... Give unique, me a Nova movie, Tim. Give me a Nova movie. <laughs> he has a very unique perspective, I think, as a, as a Christian in, in that world. But anyway, go Nick. I don't know if I have anything that I haven't talked about. That, like I deeply, unless someone can remind me, I have short-term memory sometimes. I thought you just you said something just last night that you were going to talk about. Oh no, I'm not done with that book yet. Oh, I okay. said that sometime on Take on Tales, I'm going to talk about that. Okay, I thought that, I thought there was something. No, I'm else. not finished yet. Okay, well, doesn't okay. What's your favorite book that we've done from the book club so far? Though? Well, I will have to say probably. My brain just died. What's the Chesterton book we read? <laughs> the what? The Chesterton book. Oh, Man Alive. Man, thank you. Man Alive. Okay, Man Alive by G.K. Chesterton. Um, I really enjoyed it. I've been meaning to read it for a long time. Chesterton is always interesting, the way he portrays the world. Mm-hmm. And it was basically about this, this giant of a man who tries to take the, all the joy of life all the time. Um, and he seems like basically just a big imbecilic child because of that. In many ways. And so people accuse him of murder and polygamy and theft and all this other stuff. Uh, And they have this whole kind of mock trial for him. And then it kind of unravels why, you know, why he shoots people and why he steals stuff and why he... uh, The trick is it's all about perspective. None of it's quite true. And it's, it's a fascinating book. And I think, Tim, you had wrote that it's one of those books that actually legitimately does make you feel what the main character is trying to explain. Yeah, because... That the when, joy of life is kind of those one of those trite things that sometimes yeah. movies try to do. Like a magic, uh, Mr. Magorium's Magic Emporium. Mm-hmm. It's like, like whimsy and have fun, and, and it doesn't always stick, but there's really a deep-rootedness in in the way Chesterton portrays in Man Alive. There's there's a depth to it, too. Like, if you really wanted to boil it down to, sure, you could say, like, you know, YOLO, you only live once. Yeah. But, like, he actually goes in de- kind of deep into, like, why is life worth living? Because, yeah. you know, even as Christians, sometimes we think about just looking forward to the life to come. Yeah, and... Um, and this is all about, like, no, like, you have a life on this earth and to fully invest in it. And it's an astounding life. It's a, you yeah. know, it's, it's the fact that you take it for granted at all is almost like a, like a sin. Yeah. It's like almost like, how dare you take this for granted? And you get that, and it's, it's um, communicated in a very paradoxical way, because that's how Justin do, does it. But I think in a very uh, different and profound way. And so it's, it's, it's good stuff. Quite unique. So that's, that's my, my contribution. Okay, Greg, how about you? Well, does it have to be something from this year? Or well, I guess Man Alive didn't come from this year. Yeah, no, no, it doesn't have to be a, it doesn't have to be a story that was made this year, just something you experienced this year. Right. Uh, well, earlier this year, I kind of wanted to watch something to, because uh, I kind of had a rough beginning of the year, and I just needed something to uh, just watch and kind of enjoy. And there was a show that I've been wanting to watch for a while. It's a mini series. And it's called. It's a cartoon mini series called uh, "Over the Garden Wall," oh, okay. and uh, it was on Cartoon Network. Uh, I think it, it came on in 2014, but it finally came on uh, Hulu. And uh, I wanted to watch it because it was, uh, you know, it was a mini series, so it was about like ten episodes, and features like the voice work of like Elijah Wood, Christopher Lloyd, and uh, a few other uh, kind of known people. And basically, it's a story about two brothers who are in this kind of like Americana fairy tale ish land, uh, just trying to find their way home. 
what I really like about it is it, the art direction. It's just really beautiful. Like each episode has like one song at least in each one. It kind of reminds me of these old Disney and uh, Looney Tune uh, cartoons I'd watch, like the Merry Melodies, where you'd have uh, some sort of like weird, you know, like oh here's like a a valley with flowers, and they're all like <laughs> bopping up and down, you know, singing along to a song. Like, nice. there's lots of moments like that. So, like, this cartoon has a, a lot of tributes to, like, early animation from, like, the 30s and and that, that different time period. But there's definitely a lot of, like, humor and sensibilities of uh, cartoons from today, too. But it's just really nice. It, it's, uh, you know, just a story about two brothers just, uh, you know, trying to find their way home and watching their relationship uh, develop to the point where, you know, they, they really care for each other, even though at times um, the younger brother kind of drives the older brother a little bit crazy at times. But it's really good, and I really recommend it, like anyone that likes uh, animation, just to watch it. That's a cool. good. Yeah, yeah I, I've not seen it. I've seen some pictures of it, and it has this very nice kind of old-school feel to it. It doesn't look like it's trying to be hip or current in, in some ways, but very uh, timeless is, is kind of yeah, just the impression like, I get. Like the time period, it really reminds me of like something out of like, say like Sleepy Hollow or like, you know, the, the mid uh, 1900s. Like that's kind of like the time period that uh, it's trying to evoke. Cool. All right. We hear baby crying. So let's let <laughs> Natasha get her, her say in here. <laughs> All right. Um, it took me a while to think of something from 2016 that was really impactful as far as media goes. Um, movies, books, I don't know. I haven't really been impressed by uh, this year's offerings or even the stuff I've picked up this year. And it, maybe it's just the time of life I'm in, the baby, and being on call all the time. But um, speaking of shared experiences... Um, after years of hearing that it was such a great show and we should watch it, um, Nick and I were looking for a show to watch together in the evenings, and um, we picked up Person of Interest on Yay. Netflix <laughs> and um, pretty much sped through the first two seasons, and now we're taking a break to watch The Crown. But yeah, we've been loving it. Um, so, Person of Interest is is our new favorite show, and is probably the thing that most interested me this year. So, what do you love about it? I, I just the, I don't know. The characters are just great. I don't. Every episode's a little bit different, even though it's basically the same same thing happening. But it, it progresses too, and um, it's neat to see these characters just how how good they are and they're they're villainized by the people around them and you get the i mean you know that they've done bad things in the past um but now they're trying to atone for that and um they have yeah. really good inner motivations i mean not just yeah. good as in the artistic sense but good as in like they're trying to be very good people Yes, they are. When yeah. when when the show came on TV, we watched an episode or two, and like Natasha, we keep watching. She's like, nah, she wasn't very interested in it. And then now she's hooked. Yeah, so. I, the, sometimes you know. No, the, I know it was, just, it was the right time now. It was the right us. time now. Yeah, once there was nothing else, I was bored to death. So. <laughs> and, and there's, a, there, there's such a there's such a big um, theme of justice 
and like the bad guys are bad. And you're like, when they get shot in the kneecaps, you're like, yes. <laughs> it's, but it's great. They get shot in the kneecaps. You know, they're not killed. It doesn't make light of these deaths. You know, it's the whole show is about trying to prevent even, you know, the hobo walking down the street from getting killed. So. Or sometimes people who should get. Right, you know. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Everybody gets a fair chance. And the, just the, the amount of different types of stories they have is actually pretty astounding. For for it what is. should be a procedural or yeah. looks on right. the surface like it would be. Oh, it's kind of a science fiction procedural, too, which is... Uh, it was the, yeah, the, the, the machine's quite interesting as well. The, yeah. the science fiction element sort of builds as it goes on, right? Uh, yeah, season two upped it. And from what I hear, the last couple seasons go kind of nuts <laughs> on that level. I but. love the irony of the fact that it's a show that stars Ben Linus and Jesus. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> <Right. laughs> I remember when it started, I just, you know, I had just finished watching Lost and I saw that. I'm just like, I know you're not Ben Linus, but I still hate you. <laughs> and Michael Emerson is a much better person, and Caviezel um, is a much worse person. Than- <laughs> <laughs> True enough. Not actually, but yeah, you know. <laughs> you, yeah, you know. I guess Nathan's hasn't done. Oh yeah, we, yeah, we haven't done Nathan's yet. Let's hear. Let's- I was waiting. Yes, yeah. go for it's it. Just, it's hard for me to narrow and narrow it down. Nathan likes stories. Yeah, there's, uh, there's. I could talk about a lot of things. I, I've decided to go with the one that surprised me the most. And I think it's actually a movie that out of our little group here, I think I'm the only one who's seen an animated film that was called Kubo and the Two Strings. Has anyone else seen that? I haven't had oh, a chance. To... I, it's I from... Think, uh, oh, I have not. You have not? No. It's, it, it's a stop-motion film that was made by the, the same studio that has done Coraline and Paranorman, and I think they had one more to their name, but I can't remember... Uh, Corpse Bride? Corpse might be. I think it might have been them. And they are, my understanding is that this team is more or less the descendants of the guys who worked on Nightmare on Elm Street. Not Elm Street. Nightmare Before Christmas. Wrong nightmare. (laughs) And my brother is very much into uh, animated films. And this was one that looked interesting. So I went with him to, uh, so I took him to see it. And I had seen all of their other efforts and I enjoyed it, enjoyed them well enough. But this one, this one spoke to me. (laughs) Mm. The plot of this one, one of the things that's cool about it is that it's in tra- It's kind of a Japanese fantasy, I guess, in a way. It's an American studio, well, Western studio. But this is entrenched in a lot of Japanese folklore and mythology. And the story is about this boy. He has one eye. He lives with his mother who is, lives up on the top of a mountain. And she is uh, brain damaged. So she's not quite all there. So he has to take care of her. And the way he does it is that he's a storyteller. He goes out into the villages and he tells stories about samurai slaying monsters and all that. But he doesn't just tell stories. He animates them, so to speak, because he has a, a magic ability where he can make origami figures come to life and they illustrate the story as he tells it. And it turns out that he can actually do much more with his magic uh, than what he, you know, what he knows that he's been doing just with telling these stories. And now there are all of these nefarious, evil fantasy characters that are all after him because of this. And there's other things going on about why they're after him because, you know, they explain why he why he's special and all that. You know, it's a lot of the same sort of fantasy trips that you see, but it really, so not only was it fun because it was a Japanese fantasy and I have a bit of a fascination with Japanese culture, but the fact that a big part of the theme of this story is storytelling. Hmm. And so it, you know, it really spoke to me when it came to that. And the other thing that was, that I really appreciated about this is that it's surprising. It's that 
and this is true with a lot of the other films that the that these guys have worked on, is that it actually has a melancholy ending, which you would not necessarily expect in a family fantasy film, mm-hmm. let alone an animated one. It's not like a Disney movie where everything is hunky-dory at the end. It's not terribly sad, but it's not ter- it's not terribly happy. That's why I say it's it's melancholy, but some of the things that you would kind of expect in a fantasy story like this don't necessarily happen. It doesn't take the easy way out with a, you know, with some of the things that it does, even though they probably could have construed a story that would let them do that. Now, there are, you know, the villain is defeated and all of that by the end of it, but there are certain things that, you know, there are consequences to what had happened in order to get there, and they don't undo those consequences. Plus, they also have as the as the theme song this really cool Beatles song that I had never heard of <laughs> somehow. It was a George Harrison one. I was listening to it. I thought, this is amazing. And then I looked it up online. I was like, that's a Beatles song? <laughs> I'm trying to remember which Beatles song it was. Uh, uh, my guitar gently weeps. Oh, that's a fabulous song. It is a fabulous song. Oh man! And it they did, actually they did the that on the Muppet Show once. Yeah, yeah Floyd, thing, right? And yep. the thing that makes it really interesting is that I say it's the theme song, but this is you know it's a modern film where they they put the title sequence at the end of the movie mm-hmm. uh, before the actual credits start, and actually hearing the song after the fact may, had it make a heck of a lot more sense because it's it really fed into the themes mm. of the story mm. really well. That was the most surprising thing I saw this year. I did not expect, you know, to get <laughs> hit in the feels, as the kids say, that much by by this movie. <laughs> cool. It's, it, it looked cool. It was one that I had wanted to see but never had gotten around to at the, oh, it's at so the time. Worth it. Yeah, I, I, I recommend it enough. I will see it at some point. Well, th- we're running long, so we need to wrap this okay, up. Okay, sounds good. That, if you want to throw out just a couple, like, you should definitely see this movie or uh, this this Ten title. Cloverfield Lane, Tim. Ten Cloverfield oh, Lane. Yeah. <laughs> creepiest, is... creepiest John Goodman ever. And I and I and I will say Stranger Things. <laughs> um, Nick, yes. Yeah. 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 Greg is nodding his head. <laughs> uh, yes, it's quite good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because uh, it, it just does what it's trying to do pretty flawlessly, in my opinion. I will say, watch The Crown. So far, it's been really good stuff. If you like historical, I'm not familiar stuff. with that show. It's on. It just came on Netflix a couple weeks ago, Is and that it's, Netflix original. Yes. Oh. Okay. It's about Queen Elizabeth, the current one. Oh, cool. Like uh, Matt Smith plays her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like, you know, British monarchy sort of stuff, it's really, really good. Cool. John Lithgow makes a great Churchill. <laughs> oddly enough, nice. I would also to kind of go back to the Marvel thing because I could have talked about a lot of Marvel things this for this. I do highly recommend uh, Daredevil season two. I was a huge fan of Daredevil when it came on. Out of all of the Marvel Netflix shows, Daredevil is my favorite, and season two wasn't quite as strong as season one, but it's still very good. Did they get more violent or about the same? There are certain scenes that exceed the uh, the violence of season one, but for the most part, it's about the same. Okay. There's one or two scenes that kind of go beyond what they did in season one, although that door scene's a little hard to top. Yeah. The car door scene, I should say. That was yeah. A, little hard to top. a couple of ways to do that. Mind, uh, interestingly, I've I, I noticed this, and this is also true in season two. 
all the most violent things in that show don't involve Daredevil. It's always the bad guys. Yeah, that, that makes sense. It's kind of a, yeah. interesting, I thought. Yeah. And Civil War, I think, is one of Marvel's best movies. I know Doctor Strange is good, but for me, it's Civil War this year. Uh, we'll have to agree to disagree there. Sorry, Civil War. <laughs> I know you wouldn't like it nearly as much, but for me, that's Civil War is superhero movie. Also, movie. I don't know if I talked about it on the podcast or not before, but uh, Risen, I think, is one of the best Christian movies that come out in years. It was very. I watched it after you did, and it was very good. Yeah. yeah so I, I would. I would. I'd recommend that. Little Boy is also a very good. Um, Little Boy? Little Boy, yeah. I've never heard of that one. That's another Christian film that you like? Yeah, we watched it, but it was World and Everything, and it suggested it, and it ended up being really interesting. It takes place right before World War II. It's about this boy and his dad goes off to the war, and he kind of... I don't know, it's 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 pretty interesting. I mean, it's it's not as directly Christian as Risen is, well, but it's it's <laughs> it's one of those kind of you know one of those kind of faith based films. Mm-hmm. But it was actually really good. Okay. Yeah, Greg, were you trying to get my attention earlier? Oh yes. If I could just throw one one in really quick, um, mm-hmm. I have to say I've really been impressed with um, the newest season of uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Mm. I think it's uh, right now. I think it might be my favorite of the CW shows. Yeah, going on right now. I, I would agree with that. I think it just, um, the new characters that they've added are really fun, and uh, they've really done a lot to uh, improve the characters that are that are still there. And it's just a, a really fun, funny uh, sci-fi show that I, I'm really enjoying. I still think that show is evidence that Rip Hunter is actually Rory from Doctor Who. <laughs> very hard to be the Doctor. <laughs> I have to say, too, um, aside from, I was... You know, sad to see Captain Cold go, but other than that, I think they said they want to keep the cast of that show kind of a rotating thing, and I was sort of glad because the ones that they changed out, I I have not really missed, to be honest. <laughs> They've done a lot with Heat Wave. Um, Heat Wave is really uh, interesting. Yeah. I really enjoy his presence on the show. I agree. Because of the December Christmas holidays, we're doing this over Skype today instead of in person. So we're, it's kind of old school that way. Yeah, we have done it this way for a long time. Yeah. All our old systems are done. but Yeah. <laughs> it's not even quite as good as we used to do it because we don't have the setup that we used to. But anywho, uh, because we did Episode 7 on a sidetrack last year, covered Star Wars Episode 7, we got asked to cover Rogue One. Which I finally watched last night. Yay! And did you enjoy? Yes, and I enjoyed it. So I guess that's the first thing. Did you enjoy it, Tim? It was awful. No, I know I liked it. <laughs> no, it I was... liked it quite a bit, actually. Yeah, no, it was it was quite impressive. My very first takeaway was that I was glad that Episode Seven was the first new Star Wars movie since Disney took over. And that's just because it keeps the the kind of space opera epic feel of it more this, you know, whereas this one was more of a like in the trenches kind of war movie yeah. almost. And well, I, I was talking to Zach, who cannot make it for this sidetrack. <laughs> um, and I thought what was really interesting is it is much grittier than the, other, than the normal episodes in many ways. There's a lot mm-hmm. more in the trenches, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of people dying, but it still had the feel of a Star Wars movie. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was really impressive because you could have gotten, I mean, they, they played with the, some of the, some gray area and how, you know, even some of the rebellion was probably going over lines. And 
but it never went into like 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 moral worry territory not for the most part yeah i mean that was always one of the things well part curiosity because this was really kind of the first spin-off star wars movie is really disney flexing their legs with their new uh with their new toy but like one of the things that always kind of bothered me about extended universe stuff not even so much the fact that they would have some very different types of star wars stories and exploring the other galaxy but then it bugged me when certain fans liked a certain thing then they felt like all star wars should be that or yeah. future star wars movies should be that um and this one i think has a lot of um similarities i, fi- I figured it'd please a lot of people who were big into the x-wing series mm-hmm. which i never read but i kind of got the gist of, of how they went and this it's always kind of felt to me like it was really going to uh, cater to those crowds. And I, th- and I think it did and it did it very well, but it, I don't know, it just personally made me feel better having like liking the uh, space fantasy space opera aspect of the uh, original movies that the force awakens was the first one to do this or to continue yeah. that tradition. And um, yeah, it came before this one. And yeah, now we can kind of see, yeah, this was a good example of, you know, we can tell different sorts of stories with, with it still feel like, the universe still feeling like there's still a, a fingerprint to it, even though we can push it this way or that way. Yeah, I was I I really enjoyed it. The characters were great. Um, they were all entertaining. K two S O is that his name? Was fabulous. The robot. <laughs> the, yes, the droid. <laughs> the droid. Yeah, I guess it don't say robot in Star Wars or <laughs> land. When I first started watching it, when it was first coming on, um, like the the whole beginning part was fine. It's very interesting, and I think it was a good choice not to do a, a traditional opening. I agree. I saw some people that really wanted to see the uh, traditional opening crawl, but I thought it was a, a good kind of signal, like, this is different. This is outside the norm. I, well, personally, only, I like the choice. And I guess I, I just now thought of this. Also, the, the crawl, this title crawl, has always been sort of like, this is a major event in the history of hmm. Star Wars, Skywalker, you know, and Rogue One, while very important, is not tentpole event in history, you know, in some way. I mean, in the, I guess, the Skywalker history. True. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is, they are the background people, right? They're the, yeah. uh, they're not like your, what you would uh, study for your first Star Wars history class. It'd be like after you know the basics of World War II, then you get to f- find out about how they planned the battle Dunkirk. But you don't start off with, you know, the, the planning detail stages, you start with the battle. Yeah. But after we got through the, the, the initial part with uh, Jin being a, a child, mm-hmm. my first thought was that the scenes afterwards seemed very scattershot. And I think it was just yeah. necessary to all the plants and stuff, but just felt like very, like... Lots of exposition it felt like being set up. Like, we're going to heat this planet to yeah. do this thing, and then we're going to this planet to do this thing. But once they got done with that, man, it really... They all, all the pieces, they were all necessary. They all moved together. I think that's the only point where I kind of felt like I was analyzing the movie as opposed to watching the movie. Mm. In some ways, I think also because it was the beginning and you're watching a new Star Wars movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it took a little while to really, uh, I remember feeling like a lot of it, you, was, you were engaged with it partly just because you wanted to see what was going on, not necessarily you had a huge, strong attachment. Um, attachment to the characters honestly i think this is one movie where the side characters really shine a little brighter than the main ones for some reason not that the main characters are bad in any way i just i didn't connect with them as much yeah. as uh, as much as i enjoy the side ones 
Yeah, I, I can completely understand that one. Okay, I, I might just jump around here. Well, I'll try to keep going to normal pace. I, um, Krennic, I think I, some of the names I'd lost. Yeah. Uh, the bad guy. Mm-hmm. I really kind of enjoyed it. I mean, it was fun. To, it's always kind of fun to see, speaking of the side characters and background characters, you know, it's one of these mid-level, upper-mid-level imperial, imperial guys. You know, the sort of people that are terrified of Vader. Yeah. But want to move up and want to, you know, have a place in, in the Emperor's top. You know, he's not up there with Tarkin and, and Vader, but he wants to be, and he's done lots of stuff. But it just, it was a an interesting, an, an, you know, watching this, the person kind of caught between the forces of the evil bureaucracy, I guess. <laughs> yeah. No, and I really enjoyed how we got a feel for what it was like to work with both military organizations. I really felt like they captured the uh, internal politics of both the Empire and the Rebellion really well. Which is fun because you don't have a deep, you don't have a chance in the movies normally to do that sort of stuff. You're so much trying to keep moving to the next big main character thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty impressive, really, because, like, we always had a feel for who, you know, what those groups were like, even from the original movies. I mean, even if it's just kind of a sliver of of things, and then that really got explored more and, you know, in other things and kind of solidified. Um, so then to finally see a movie that really focused on those things in an actual Star Wars movie... And it, you know, worked really well with that. I mean, granted, things details are different about how they got the Death Star plans and all that, but the main ideas are all still there because they came from the same source. Yeah, I have to say, I really enjoy seeing Grand Moff Tarkin, even if he's <laughs> not actually there. Yeah, um, that was that was impressive. I mean, I thought first, it was really impressive. Yeah, the very like, first I, scene, I, I was like, I don't know if it works. He looks really CG. I mean, it'd be a very impressive for a a video game, but like, I don't know. But then, like, the more it went on in like other scenes, I mean, as long as they didn't focus too heavily on him, I, I mean, those scenes were usually better anyway. But a lot of it, it just, I don't know. It it was fun to have him there, and I felt like we would have felt like we were missing something if he wasn't. Yeah, and I and you know, and I think if you're not paying close attention. I, I think I had to tell my wife that, no, that guy's dead. He was just community generated. Because if you're oh, not yeah. paying close attention, you know. So Natasha didn't even pick up on that? It's I don't think so. He, yeah, Natasha didn't pick up that he was fake. That's impressive. So, I mean, I mean you're, you're right. They do it a lot of times in shadowy places or mm-hmm. to help it a little bit. But I, you have to do, especially as I read the Tarkin book, you have to have him involved in the Death Star. <laughs> yeah. um, and just and he's he's just great because... Well, and, and kudos to the guy that uh, voices him. Um, yeah, yeah, he's done it for the the cartoons, uh, Clone Wars and Droids, and he's he's nailed it. Another interesting thing in this movie, I thought, was the you know it kind of showed that even the Rebel Alliance has parts of it that are a little shady. And I, I like like the the presence of uh, Saw Guerrera. I thought was fascinating because I mean they're certainly implying that he's a Darth Vader ish presence on the rebel side i mean he has the respirator he has all the missing limbs he's had more robot than not oh i hadn't thought of it Uh, that way like i mean i i like that they had the respirator sounding kind of similar to vader's because i just thought you know that's kind of a a technological continuity there that they're doing yeah but that's an interesting perspective that he's almost the uh, rebels darth vader i mean because he like what mon mothma said you know he he tends to be a little more Hardline, a little more extremist. I mean, that battle in that, well, not really a battle, but attack in Jedna, uh, Jeddah, 
mm-hmm. um, is is very terrorist feeling. Yeah, you know, they just sneak mm-hmm. up and they and which also was just I really enjoyed that whole action scene. Just because, well, there's a lot of cool stuff about it, but yeah. they had that. I mean, there was a tension, react- like as they sort of set up that that whole that whole atmosphere. It, I mean, it did make you think terrorists, and it's like this is almost yeah. getting a little borderline uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and it was interesting to see that sort of aspect of the rebellion. You, I think you've read about it if you read some of the EU books. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I, I, it was an interesting spin on things. That yeah. all worked. I thought another interesting sort of twist on this. And we've seen the underbelly of the Star Wars universe in various things and lots of times. But usually it's from like smugglers and criminals perspective. And they all have this kind of, if not a swagger, kind of a, a sneer or a you know, kind of an attitude to him. Whereas like here, it was all very kind of desperate stuff. There was no, yeah. there was no swagger to uh, these rebellion people. Um, yeah. Well, it, I mean, they're, they had the attitude of the soldiers and even the people who they interacted with outside of the rebellion, you know, they still don't have that kind of, kind of swagger, that, that kind of attitude. So it was just, it was all much more beat down than, um, mm-hmm. than you were used to. And the, the black, the battle at, um, Scarrow, Scarif, Scarif, Scarrow's Doctor Who. As Scarif, I thought it was interesting. First off, I gotta see, I gotta have some good X-wing fighting, which I missed from Episode Seven yes. because they say like, "I'll show you two seconds of X-wing, and then we're done." <laughs> so I enjoyed that. Mm. Um, but I also enjoyed that the the ground battle was that sort of desperateness you got out of um, the Battle of Hoth oh, in many ways. You know, this sort of like you're very on the ground. There's a lot of you know, it's not going, it's going good for a while but it's, you know it's a losing battle mm-hmm. and i think they pull the death so i mean all our main characters die except it feels like it was worth going through the ride and getting them to that point yeah no it, it didn't despite them all dying it didn't feel like horribly tragic i mean tragic yes but like one going into it you knew there was a good chance that was going to happen anyway yeah yeah <laughs> just as a way to you know not have to answer <laughs> where were they during star wars but also it just felt like they all met very heroic ends, and yeah, and and it, it made you feel like the rebellion was worth it. And they, and knowing what the Death Star is and what what happens in New Hope gives a lot of meaning to their death. Yeah, I mean, it works really well. I mean, like I was talking to my brother Zach, and you know, it, it leads into New Hope so wonderfully. Oh yeah, uh, and that that really was one of the big question marks going into it. Like, how far would they go? Like, how close would they? Yeah, and I mean, I'm. I think it was about the way they had to. I I wouldn't have guessed that you'd have that crazy Darth Vader scene at the very end where they like Man, that was bar- that was cool. That was that was super cool. But they even just barely got the Death Star plans to Leia in time. Yeah. Um, but no, I I did hope at least it would like transmit to her ship or something yeah. like that. So and it's interesting because in many ways I think Rogue One succeeded in making New Hope better as opposed to just playing off of it. I mean, like, like it yeah. actually adds subtext, I guess. Uh huh. You have a lot more understanding of what happened before, which is really pretty cool. Um, Speaking of New Hope, I'm almost positive on Jeddah they bump into the two guys in the canteen <laughs> that show up in the cantina. Yes, I, I'm pretty sure that's supposed to be those two guys. That was like, like that's awesome. <laughs> okay, okay. The coolest callback though to a new hope though has got to be that they actually use unused footage from the first star wars movie to have some of the x-wing fighters 
um, oh, in that they look, in that battle. They look like the X-wing fighters from New Hope. I didn't know how they did that. Yeah, no, I actually read and I I wondered when I saw it if that's what they did, and I read and confirmed it uh, in some article today. That yeah, they had actually visited Lucasfilm and were doing like the director and some people were doing a tour or whatever, and they they saw the reels. They got curious and intrigued and wanted to look at it, and they realized they had some of these unused footage with these guys, these actors. Awesome. Yeah. So that that's amazing to me, and that's another thing. And even like even around Yavin, it was cool to look and see. Oh, I think that's uh, Captain Dodona, or however you say his name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was it was the continuities were very very good. And I was glad we were joking to think the first time Bail Organa shows up, I was like. Wait, is that it? Like, <laughs> he just steps out of the shadows and doesn't say anything for like 10 seconds and then they go off somewhere else. So I was glad he actually got to talk later. I'd really wonder if he Akbar, though, even though his something or other was his relative or something was there. Yeah. Uh, another Mal was, Calamari. So, so what was, was Darth Vader just hanging out on Mustafar? We that were wondering that if that was Mustafar or if that was some other place. Yeah, that's, re- if so, Kil- that's really kind of sick. <laughs> yeah, that's um, not too healthy for you there, Vader. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you're full of uh, self-loathing anyway, so. But I don't know. I remember Count Dooku in Clone Wars had, like, some uber-sinister-looking base thing that he used to hang out at. So I don't know that. I'm sure Mustafar is probably not the only planet in the galaxy that looks like that. Probably not. It's just interesting. It's the only planet without a title. <laughs> that's true. I wonder if that was on purpose. But uh, <laughs> we also joked that it was like, you know, they had to interrupt Vader while he was taking his back to bath. <laughs> yeah. <Good> job, guys. <laughs> so um, what do you feel about, I, I got to bring up uh, about soundtrack music. I have to give credit to uh, Michael Giacchino. We always knew he was the uh, successor to John Williams, and he proved it in this. Like, Did I you think he only had four weeks to do this? Really? I did not hear that. Yeah, you only four weeks to do it. Yeah. Wow. I mean, he had a great <laughs> plethora of music to pull from, uh, background of music. Yeah. I mean, he, he's probably listened to that all his life. Well, I read an interview today where he was super scared. You know, he's kind of freaking out when they asked him to do it, and he only had four weeks, and he called his brother. His brother's like, dude, you've been composing this since you were 10. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But I haven't. Well, I listened to some of it on Spotify, and there are, if my if my ear memory is correct, there's a lot of references to the Star Wars Episode Four music. Okay. Um, which is inter- which is a good idea because I mean, there's references to some prequel stuff too. But Episode Four stuff, you don't actually, it, you know, it all gets developed a lot more later mm. on. It has, but it has a certain feel. There's certain, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but it just felt like there was some continuity between. New Hope and this in musically nice places. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it definitely felt like, um, like it all sounded familiar. It all sound. I mean, I didn't listen real closely. You've probably listened to, if you've already listened to the soundtrack, maybe there were some themes that stood out. I don't know if he did any new themes or not. Um, I know there, the, there's the, um, there's a couple, the one that everyone, well, not everyone, but a couple people mentioned was the Jin Urso and hope there's a, Tracks so called Jen Urso and Hope Suite, and it's the one the music plays well right when they're gonna die. Oh, okay. um, but that theme shows up various places, which I had I was kind of listening for since I had listened to the soundtrack before I saw the movie. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't listened to all of it. I've listened bits and pieces of it. Yeah. But. I mean, granted, I didn't really pick up on uh, Ray's theme the first two times I saw Force Awakens. But then when I went back and listened to it, I was like, wow, that is really cool. You know, because hopefully, visually, hopefully the movie is taking you so you're not listening to that sort of stuff. Well, true. That's true. But, it, but even with Star Wars, there are there have been very themes that like just stick with you. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. And Giacchino does very good themes, but he hasn't quite reached the level of like Williams at his best has themes that you cannot forget. Yeah. And I think Williams is still better at that than Giacchino. I mean, he has some like up and whatever, but yeah, anyway, I, would, I would agree. But uh, I mean, part I, of I that is kind of the, well. st- the current style, anyway. The, you know, like that one mm-hmm. video we watched. Current filmmakers seem much less invested on uh, developing very memorable themes, less yeah. than Pirates of the Caribbean. Though I have to say, I mean, the music was much more, which you should for a Star Wars movie, much more overt than some movies. Well, it still has yeah. a very classical theme. I mean, you you do yeah. sort of expect that now with Star Wars. You don't want just, you know, it, it shouldn't sound like Hans Zimmer. It should sound like yeah. John Williams, even if yeah. it's yeah. not John Williams. And eventually they might switch that up a little bit. But I'm, for this one, it was really good they did it. Visually, there was it was really inter. I mean, there were some really nice, you know, because Star Wars, especially with George Lucas directing, it's always been a very visual movie. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I mean, some, the plants were nice. The um, I know some of the shots of you know the Death Star, or, uh, the, the that temple in Jeddah, or I don't know, it worked real. I thought visually it worked pretty well. Um, yeah, I enjoyed. What was the name of the beach planet again? I mean, it's probably not all uh, beach, but Gareth. Gareth, I think. Yeah, I I really enjoyed that location a lot. Um, again, just because it was something that we really haven't seen in a Star Wars movie, the kind of tropical location. Yeah, uh, that was. I thought that was a cool scene for the battle. The most impressive cinematography to me that stood out to me anyway was all the stuff involving the ships, like you said, the Death Star, but also even just what they did with the uh, the Star Destroyers was. There's some cool stuff in there. Yeah. I mean, granted, the the scene that will probably stood out to me that I was like, I can't believe I'm seeing this is when they in the battle where they, they ran the one the star, star destroyer into oh, another. Man, that was awesome. <laughs> they, you know, that actually reminded me a lot of something you see in like Babylon Five. You know, like some last minute crazy attempt. Sure, yeah. They're always doing ramming speed and stuff like that. Yeah, that was just one moment. So like. I can't believe what I'm seeing. Like the inner <laughs> six-year-old who likes destroying things, know. really enjoy that. No, it's very interesting that as, as much as this is different in some ways, there's a lot of the same sort of points of a Star Wars movie. You have the kind of the the last battle that's on ground in space, and there's in this case they're trying to wipe out the the shield generator or the planetary generator. Hmm. Um, and you know, a lot of times it's you know the Death Star or the droid um, control ship or whatever. Yeah, I didn't thought about um, that. That is is some parallels to Jedi there. Yeah. Um, the shield thing on the ground. Oh, yeah, I didn't even thought, yeah, that's true. Man, that planetary general was great. And it's interesting the way they used the Force in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it was, it was know, nice, and it made sense, I think. If you're going to do a movie that's about the uh, ground forces anyway, it's best to get rid of, like, all the, as many of the Jedi elements as you can. For one thing... You know, it really enhanced that Vader scene at the end where you have like this one dude that's just wiping the floor of everyone. Yeah. As opposed to seeing a whole movie with someone doing that. But yeah, it, then it also it, it helps with the, you know, kind of the, the average Joes out there. Even if it, I suspect the blind dude had some force. Um, well, they 
they said they were kind of guardians of that temple, and I think a lot of them were probably force sensitive. Yeah, sensitive people. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the blind guy was awesome. Yeah, they kept it ambiguous how much he was actually using the force, but his uh, devotion to it was pretty obvious. Yeah, and it's interesting to see. You know, it really is probably the most religious we've seen the force with the common people. Hmm. Good point. Uh, you know, be a lot of times it's almost like a knighthood thing, and uh-huh. this is, is real. And I, I, I heard uh, Haley said one of her friend's husband went and didn't like it because there wasn't enough Jedi. But I'm really glad that we can do a movie without Jedi. I mean, I like Jedi and everything, but yeah. there's so much more of the universe now to talk about. Yeah, and Jedi had dominated the Star Wars conversation for a long time. So I felt like this was welcome. And I, I, I said this on Twitter several weeks ago that Stormtroopers have been kind of the go-to Star Wars costume and kind of generally... I really, I would really love to see this movie inspire a lot more rebellion themed outfits at Comic Con and stuff like that. Because really, the rebels are the heroes, and that's been kind of lost over time. And I really like that this movie really, you know, brought that out. You know, and there's a lot of things that I think I I was afraid, like the whole mother father thing or the daughter father thing, I thought was going to be overplayed, but it worked really well in this case. Mm -hmm. Um, They didn't overplay Vader. Use him as like a, like a you know just a prop to get people to come. Yeah, I thought mm-hmm. I thought he made sense in what he was in. Yep, it was interesting what they did with his father about. Um, yeah, what did you feel about them um, basically planning a weakness in the Death Star on purpose? I kind of like it honestly because it felt like, at least the way they presented it, while it it made sense for both the. Okay, I'm. On one hand, on the on the outside, you're watching it from the outside. You, people make fun of the whole photon torpedo and the shoot and everything. And then they don't explain that. They don't say, hey, go and do this one exhaust port and you can do it. That's a rebel <laughs> thing. You know, <laughs> that's, that's not what he set up. Uh-huh. But the fact that one thing can destroy the whole thing, it's a nice explanation for something that you don't you didn't really need when you made the first movie. But after 20, 30 years of people analyzing it, yeah. it is helpful. But the other nice thing about it is it plays in this thing about the rebels sometimes doing things they don't want to in order to help the final cause. Mm. So mm-hmm. he's helping build the Death Star, but there's a it's so that he can put this back door in. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, because the whole movie is very much people, you know, rebellions built on hope, that they just, this is the one last hope we have of doing this thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's I'm going to put one hope in the Death Star. I'm going to put one hope in the, you know, get, get the plans. You know, everything's just like, well, if we can pull this off. Mm-hmm will win which is you know what people love like one of the things people love about original movies is that they're the underdogs and they just barely make it and i don't think it in some ways it adds that to that by making this guy part of that whole thing from my point of view yeah no i I mean i thought it was i thought it was neat i I always felt the um complaint about well why the empire would leave such a big weakness in their thing was always was kind of a little overdone it's like one of those uh yeah like you said one of those things that you probably didn't think about at all the first time and would be very easily overlooked. And I, there, I remember one video about uh, the designer of the Death Star kind of complaining with people, are you serious? Like, how in the world is a kid supposed to make a shot like that anyway? Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it does raise questions why the Empire even had all those guns at that trench in the first place, or they'd even know there was a weakness there. Um, I'll tell you what, though. Also, watching the Death Star blow up in two cities... Yeah, um, that was. I mean, it really adds to the from the ground level. It wasn't even from space. You got to see the. I don't know what you even call it. A landslide, I guess. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, um, first off, it was a visually very kind of cool and you know impressive and kind of like man, that's a that's a horrible thing. Mm-hmm. But also, it it adds to the mystique of the Death Star. Yeah, uh, because you they blow up Alderaan, but it's hard to identify with all identify with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a very space opera. I mean, that's good for space opera. But when you're doing this more on the ground sort of thing, it's nice to see an explosion on the ground. <laughs> It really is impressive. You think about it, like a movie that we've had for, you know, like you said, thirty years. Actually, will it be? It'll be forty years next year. That'll be the anniversary. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Wow. So almost forty years that uh, you can add a whole new element to this movie without really. I don't think. Not damaging or hurting or yeah, not or... damaging. I'd be like that was that was the scariest thing about doing this so close to the original that you could do something that would really taint your version of the of the original. Yeah. and I don't think it will at all. No, so, I, I, that's so they played very well with that. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yep. One other thing I thought was uh, I'm just curious about. There's a lot of scenes in the previews that were not in the movie. That's true. And I'm I, I'm just very I'm very curious. I mean, the movie ended up great, and you know I don't it made whatever changes it thought worth making. But from a from a creator point of view, I'm very curious about what kind of decisions they decided to make with the reshoots and everything. Yeah, because that someone brought that up after, and I didn't think about it the night I saw it. But yeah, those reshoots might have been some of those things because basically it was kind of her whole introduction in the. Um, like in the trailers that they completely changed. Yeah, I, I, I sometimes wonder whether um, Jin wasn't softened somewhat. That's possible. Um, and the, you know, I wonder if I wonder if the you know whether the parental link was there originally, or I read somewhere that people think there was more more film of her growing up or mm. getting into trouble originally. And I you know it doesn't matter, but it's just very interesting because I remember you know her saying we rebel. I remember. Saw Guerrero saying like, "What will you become?" Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when she's going to fix the satellite link thing. The Tie Fighter coming up as if to attack her, and that wasn't uh, in the movie either. Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to go back and watch those. I, I forgot about that part. So, yeah. anyways, I mean, I'm not complaining, but it was just—it's interesting to wonder again. It's probably good they were being particular because you're trying to deal with it. Like we said, you're touching a movie that's 40 years old. Mm-hmm. This is the first one out of the box trying to develop what is different and what is the same about a Star Wars standalone movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure they were just trying to tweak the atmosphere, uh, the tension, that sort of stuff. Yeah. But I'll be curious to see if uh, if they have any of those deleted scenes on the Blu-ray and if they talk about it. Yeah, exactly. So cool. it was I really I came out of it really enjoying it. Uh, my parents watched it at the same time and they really enjoyed it. Yep. Uh, I really yeah. don't have much complaint. If I, you know, if I was gonna be super nitpicky, her dad dies and they do all that scene, and the guy says, "Oh, I wasn't gonna shoot him," and then the next scene in the Rebel, she gives this very heartwarming speech, and he gets all these people, and it's, it's a, it's a pretty quick turn, but it makes sense, and you know, if you know, the the dots connect just fine. Yeah, but you get the you get the idea, especially hearing what her father did, that she wants to validate that that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gives her a whole new perspective on things, and I do think a lot, a big, probably her relationship with uh, Saw, which every time I think of his name, I'm thinking like a wood saw. So it was just kind of. I think it's spelled that way, actually. Is it really? I thought I saw, I thought I saw it somewhere. I could be wrong, but yeah. But, but anyway, 
I think probably a big thing of what had soured her on the rebellion was kind of her relationship with him and feeling abandoned. And even though he wasn't really part of the rebellion, he was close enough. Man, uh, he was insane. He he was insane. <laughs> For someone who had such an inspirational quote, he wasn't a guy that you wanted to mess with at all. No, no, he was kind of nuts. Um, which is just kind of fun to see in all these characters. I mean, they did a great job of establishing lots of just unique characters. Yes. So, so that's all. That's all I've got. I think. No, it was it was a fun time. Definitely, like yeah, the the final third of the movie is where I felt like it really soared. Yeah, it, it connected all its all its dots together and it just worked. Yeah. So fun stuff. But I'm looking forward now to next year to see uh, how Ray's training has been going and uh, what yeah. Luke has to say for himself. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> so that'll be fun. Uh, yeah, we hope I'm he, enjoying okay. the fact that we have a universe of Star Wars now, and that we'll get new movies. And I'm, I'm hoping, I know they're going to do like a Han movie and some of these prequels, but I'm hoping they start exploring things outside of just telling backstories on people. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I was always more interested in what they were going to do with this than the, the Han Solo thing has me a little more concerned than I was for this one. I mean, I, I, I was cautiously optimistic about this one. Han Solo movie, I feel like it's going to yeah. be tough. I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, I guess if you get a good writer, it could be kind of a James Bond sort of Yeah. Well, nice and thing. they've done a Han Solo story before in the books, the the young Han Solo trilogy. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be vastly different now, but I'll be very curious to see what they do with that. Yeah, I agree. And part of me would still love to see Cal Katarn show up sometime, even if he wasn't now the person who got the Death Star plans. <laughs> he's, yeah, come he's on, some sort of Horses movie would be awesome. <laughs> oh man! Or can you imagine if he showed up in Rebels? That'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd be cool too. I'll take it. Know. Either way, you know they've done yeah. some. They've they brought in some uh, EU stuff in Rebels so far, and I from what I hear, some of the characters from this might show up in that at some point. Oh, cool! Yeah, because they can't throw up after. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess they can't be a rogue too, unless it's no. all about the Bothan spies. Yeah, maybe Bothans died to give us his information. But see, that one's sad, more sad, though, because that was all a trap. Mm, that's true. Because the Emperor's planned that. Oh, yeah. I, I love it this movie. It's like, it. it's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we need to wrap this up. Uh, yeah, we'll go. Okay, adios. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Remember, you can listen to all our episodes at com. We hope you have or had a Merry Christmas, depending on when this gets out. Uh, but until next time, this is Tim. This is Nick. Adios. Bye.